Welcome back to another episode of Next Gen Athletics, a podcast all about college sports. In today's show, we're going to talk about the craziness of bowl season. We will discuss all the headlines leading into Monday's national championship game. And finally, we will break down the TCU versus Georgia matchup in its entirety. Now, ladies and gents, let's kick the tires and light the fires. sir welcome back everybody to another episode hope you guys enjoyed the new year and were able to watch some college football playoff action i know i was i know thomas was and what a weekend we had in college sports man just beautiful football all around close games exciting matchups it was really just one of the best weeks of college football i think i've ever experienced Definitely have to agree. You know, I was able to go down to the Gator Bowl and watch my South Carolina Gamecocks play. Uh, unfortunately, we lost. However, you know, sometimes the beauty of bowl games, especially if you're playing in, you know, like a, a lesser bowl game, like the Gator Bowl. It's not trying to pretend like this is some prestigious bowl game. It's a game that you're okay losing as long as you show up and play well. Yeah, and, you know, it's just one of those things where you get to play a team that you usually don't get to see and get to enjoy new matchups that you probably might not ever see again. So definitely just a fun time of the year for sure. Yeah, you know, I think that's kind of the beauty of bowl season. And and something that I think we're kind of getting away from a little bit, if you kind of look at the at the season in its entirety, you get more and more matchups that we're getting used to seeing now because these bowl games have tie-ins. So I'm excited to see, like, with the college football playoff expanding, if that changes anything. Um, I'm not necessarily sure it will, but... You know, it's definitely something to keep an eye on going forward. Yeah, for sure. Like, even as a Clemson fan, you know, we've played the same teams over and over again in the playoffs. So, these last two years playing Iowa State and Tennessee, it's just a game that it's just fun to watch. You don't get to see that team play unless you go out of your way to watch them. So, watching, you know, Clemson match up against teams that you usually don't get to see, it's just a fun time. Definitely agree. It's something that, you know, is kind of the beauty of college football. And, and something now to where we're seeing so many guys enter the transfer portal, opt out of bowl games, that... We get to see guys who don't necessarily play all the time get chances to prove themselves. You know, I think it's almost become like a postseason, preseason game for the next year. Yeah, you get to like see how your team's shaping up for the next season with, with guys that are going to be leaving. And you get to see kind of what you can be excited about or maybe what your team needs to focus on in the offseason. Yeah, you know, I, you know, especially for South Carolina, we, we had, um, you know, obviously Cam Smith and all these big defensive guys were out of the game, and we had lots of guys step up. One guy in for, for sure who had the 100-yard pick six of Donald Fortune. Um, you know, it was a guy now that I know going into next year, like I'm excited to see how he does. He's got two picks on the year. One was a 101-yard touchdown that, that we just talked about. So, you know, I'm excited to see how that goes. I know – you didn't necessarily get the best bowl game experience. Uh, we'll break that down in a minute. But still, like, you know, building blocks to go on. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, especially we'll get into the Clemson game, obviously. But, you know, we had the one of the bigger opt-outs you can have in the quarterback position. And so it's just it's interesting to see, you know, how that team can respond to new leadership and that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And let's dive right into that game. The Tennessee Volunteers took down Clemson 31-14 to in the Orange Bowl. Now, I was – on my way home from Jacksonville at this point, so I was not able to really watch much of the game. I think I listened to, like, half of the fourth quarter once we finally got, like, connection because, you know, 
95 is perfect for not having any internet <laughs> connections. So, you know, kind of break that game down for us. So, you know, early in the game, Clemson had a lot of momentum, and it kind of got wiped away with some early bad play calling on special teams, going for a, a fourth and, you know, three, I think it was. Um, and it was just a dumb play call with, with the, the holder running an option play with the kicker. And that's just not a play that necessarily going to work all the time. And that's a play where we can get three points early in the game, take the lead after getting a defensive stop, and we just lose all momentum in that play. And then they go down and score, and then we get the ball back, can't make a field goal. Just really, um, I don't know what the word is, uncharacteristic, I think, um, from our special teams unit to not be able to execute as well as they have in the past. And I think momentum went to Tennessee early in the game and just stayed with them the rest of the game. Yeah, you know, I think that that's something that we kind of had become accustomed to with the Volunteers all year, kind of jumping out to early leads and then just staying with it. You know, there are two games they lost, the South Carolina and the Georgia game. It was the opposite. They went down early and just weren't able to, to recover and respond correctly. So, you know, I, I think a big storyline of this is obviously the missed opportunities. You had three missed field goals from a field goal kicker who had missed like three field goals his all entire freaking career. Yeah, yeah. Felt like, you know, and he's been there for, what, five years? Yeah, this is fifth year, yeah. Fifth year. So, you know, a guy that's super reliable, something that we probably won't see again since he's probably, if I had to guess, he's probably going to go to the NFL. He's probably going to be a draft pick because he's a phenomenal kicker. He's very, very accurate. And just a crazy game. Sometimes the ball just doesn't bounce your way. Yeah, really, I mean, the story just goes to Clemson leaving points on the board early. And like you're saying, the games that Tennessee lost is because they didn't go out to an early lead. Clemson had the chance to go out, get a lead early, and they just couldn't do it. Yeah. You know, I've got a question, and I know kind of what I think, and we talked about this a couple days ago, but I want to get your honest opinion as a Clemson student, as a Clemson fan. You know, there's this narrative, I think, now in college football that, you know, Dabo Sweeney has said time and time again he does not like the transfer portal, he doesn't like NIL, and, and they just are almost refusing to use it. Is this something going forward to where that's going to hurt the Tigers? Or do you think that this is something to where kind of maybe being different is going to be an attractive destination for recruits coming out of high school? I think, you know, maybe you can get a few extra recruits out of high school showing that you're loyal to your guys and you don't want to go out and get players from other teams. But in the long run, some of those players are going to end up transferring themselves. And so you can't continue to lose players to the portal and not gain players you have to be able to kind of make a mix and match where you're getting both and you're losing some occasionally and so I think Dabo's gonna have to find a way to compromise a little bit you know he's he's all about culture and I think you can find guys in the pool in the portal that match your culture still and he hasn't really done that yet but I think he's gonna have to to stay relevant in college football yeah, absolutely agree you know I, I saw the quote that somebody had said that Clemson it was the dynasty was over and and this that and the other and even as a South Carolina fan well, let's not trick ourselves into thinking that this yeah. team that still won an ACC championship and lost three games it, the dynasty's not over they just you know sometimes you lose games and I think that the the games they lost this year obviously they lost on the road in South Bend a really really tough place to play and they lost at home to South Carolina and you know while the South Carolina Gamecocks were hot they had bad quarterbacking play, they had bad play calling down the stretch. And so I think this is more a story of a season of what could have been for Clemson than a season of letdown. Yeah, and I agree. It's definitely been a season of, you know, we had chances to be in the playoff and to compete. And we showed flashes throughout the year of the the ability to compete in big games and, and maybe have a run in the playoffs. I thought, you know, even after the Notre Dame loss, you know, if we get hot, we're still a really good team. 
and we just never really got to see the team at full potential. And part of that goes out to the players. Part of that goes out to the you know first year coordinators on both sides of the ball. So you know I think with another year of experience under their belt and some some new faces on the offense and defense, maybe the Tigers can make a run next year. Yeah, you know I, I think it's kind of crazy now looking back on the season. If South Carolina had not beaten Clemson, Clemson would have been probably the three seed, mm-hmm. right? Because they would have been the best conference champion, one loss team. And, and that's something to where we're not really used to that, right? Finally, we had a conference championship game that did not go the playoffs way. Like normally we're used to seeing these teams like, okay, well, if you win, you're in. And almost always they win. But this year we had USC and TCU lose in a conference championship game that just you know, we're not used to seeing that. And and credit to these teams down the stretch that held in there, held in there, held in there, and just did not have enough to get in. Yeah, you know, uh, even even in conference championship week, I thought maybe if enough chaos happens, Clemson can still get in. That's just me being, you know, too hopeful, I guess. But um, it's probably a good thing, looking back, that we didn't get in. Because now maybe Dabo can look at himself in the mirror and say, hey, we need to make a few changes in certain aspects of our team. Because... You know, another season, missing the playoffs, losing to your in-state rival, you have to look in the mirror and say, maybe we're doing something not quite right. You know, maybe small adjustments. You don't have to go into complete rebuild, but, um, you know, if your goal is to be the best of the best, you can't just continue to be okay with, you know, two and three lost seasons. You have to be able to consistently win the regular season games. And I think maybe Dabo can look himself in the mirror and say, hey, maybe I need to make this adjustment here or, or there. I don't really know what it might be, but... Dabo maybe now, you know, can can say, okay, we didn't have the season we wanted and we can make changes now. Yeah, you know, and I, I, we need to also talk about Tennessee, you know, a team that, that going in was riddled with opt-outs, you know, going to the NFL draft, injuries, guys entering the transfer portal. The guys that showed up, showed up and showed out. You know, I was really, really surprised that they put up as many points as they did and held Clemson to as few points as they did. Yeah, Tennessee is a team that, up until bowl season, I really liked watching them play. They had an explosive offense, an exciting fan base. All of it was just, uh, you know, just a good season for them all around. And, you know, with the opt-outs they had, I thought maybe Clemson had a good chance of being on the other side of this blowout. I thought maybe we could blow them out with the, with the guys they were missing. But, no, they they held in. They, they got to work. And, and, I mean, they showed up a lot more than Clemson did on that day. Absolutely agree. You know, I think this is something to where – Josh Heupel's in his second year, and he's proven to be a very, very good coach. In, in, in an SEC where to now we're kind of maybe starting to see a shifting, a changing of the guards perhaps. And, you know, Nick Saban's getting up there. He mm-hmm. can't keep coaching forever. Kirby Smart's kind of starting to look like Georgia's maybe going to take that next step. You know, maybe there's somebody else out there. Maybe it's Brian Kelly. Maybe it's Jimbo Fisher. You know, you got Shane Beamer and Josh Heupel in the East. Who knows what's going to happen next in the SEC, but definitely credit to the Tennessee Volunteers. They had a great season, even lost um, with the loss of Hendon Hooker, responded well, won those next two games after the the very, very disappointing loss in Columbia where they got embarrassed by the Gamecocks. So Tennessee hangs in. They finished the season on a high with the win over Clemson 31-14 in the Orange Bowl. Moving into our next game, the Sugar Bowl, number five, Alabama, takes down number nine, Kansas State, by a final score of 45 to 20. This game was a farewell, a, a curtain call for Bryce Young, and he performed phenomenally. Yeah, I saw some some tweets about him, and they were like, you know, 
Um, Bryce Young went into this game as the projected number one overall pick, and he actually raised his stock to the potential number one overall pick. He was just lights out in this game, and he just, I mean, he proved why he's the best quarterback in the country, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, you you got to absolutely agree. And, you know, I've seen a lot of people talk about that number one pick, and I think it's going to be interesting to see who in the end has the number one pick because sometimes a lot of the time the number one guy doesn't always get taken because, right, I think everybody in the world would want Bryce Young as their quarterback except for teams that maybe just drafted a quarterback. Maybe they, they already have that, that franchise guy in their system. So it'll be interesting to see who in the end gets that 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 final you know draft pick day, uh, which will be decided this weekend. Yeah, definitely, you know, the, the number one overall pick doesn't always go to the number one guy, like you're saying. It's it's definitely more about team needs and finding that spark plug that'll that'll fit your team better. Yeah, and, and to give you the numbers behind the day, we've been discussing it, so we'll give the numbers. Bryce Young went 15 for 21 for 321 yards and five touchdowns, no interceptions. Just a, a day to remember for, for Bryce Young. Yeah, I mean, averaging over 20 yards per completion is just insane. I mean, I, I mean you, you don't see that very often, especially not in a game where it's two top 10 teams going at it. Yeah, absolutely agree. You know, there's going to be questions at quarterback now for Alabama. We saw how they, they struggled without Bryce Young in there. Obviously, they have Jalen Milrow. I think that I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah. Um, they've got him in there. He got some games of experience. They He came in and they outlasted Arkansas, which at the point in time was a very, very good Arkansas team. Mm-hmm. Obviously the tables kind of turned towards the end of the season. They were riddled with injuries, and they just they just didn't have that kind of spark coming down the stretch. But, you know, what are your expectations now? We've had a lot of Alabama quarterbacks now with, with Tua, with Mac Jones, now with Bryce Young, who have just been phenomenal, definitely day one guys in the NFL draft. What are your expectations for Milrow coming into next year? You know, he was a highly recruited guy out of high school. Alabama wouldn't have him if he wasn't. So he's got to be a good quarterback. I don't think he was quite ready this year. And I think it was good for him to get a little bit of experience, but also to, you know, see how Bryce conducted himself. And then maybe next year he can make that next step. I mean, the, the good thing for him is that at Alabama, you're always going to have a ton of weapons around you. Because we, we've seen in the past, Alabama might not have the best quarterback in the country. You know, recently they have had really good quarterbacks, but you know, at the beginning of the dynasty, they didn't always have the best quarterbacks, but it didn't really matter because of how many weapons were around those quarterbacks. Yeah, I definitely agree. You know, Alabama having that number one recruiting class this year had something like four or five five-star guys recruit. So, you know, I think it's something to where Alabama is always going to be reload, go again, reload, go again, reload, go again. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see, like you mentioned, there's a lot of guys around him that performed extremely well. So it's going to be interesting to see you know, coming down the stretch, do we have another Jalen Waddle? Do we have another Devontae Smith? Another Derrick Henry, perhaps, coming out of that Alabama system? Yeah, it's always fun to watch them because most teams, when they have their great years, like an LSU, for example, the next year they can't really bounce back because they lose so many guys to the draft. Every year for Alabama, they lose guys. And every year somebody else steps up. And so, you know, I don't think losing these top guys to the draft this year is going to hurt them too much. I think they'll be able to still compete next year at a high, high level. Yeah, absolutely. We've definitely become accustomed to seeing it. And it's something this year, we've discussed it before with Georgia now, they, they had that unbelievable year last year. And a lot of people were like, yeah, you know, they had a really, really good team. They had a really, really good defense. Lost a lot of guys to the NFL. It'll kind of be like an LSU, kind of be like an Auburn from a couple of years ago, Florida State, where now they're going to kind of go into a little bit of a slump and then they'll come back in a couple of years. I mean, we talked about it. They reloaded. They look even better. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think they're really getting their 
their uh, system kind of from from Alabama when it, with the how to reload and you know Kirby Smart I think has learned a lot from Nick Saban about how to do that and you know just watching Nick Saban conduct his his program you can learn a lot about how to coach and and how to you know go about trying to you know keep a consistent competitive football team yeah and you know we we talked about this game last week and we said that Alabama just has way more to lose and it looked like in the game a team that really really needed to win was playing versus mm-hmm. a team who was content on just being there scoring a couple points obviously Deuce Vaughn had that one really really big run had a good day but other than that I mean you can't really say anything for Kansas State yeah Kansas State I mean they didn't need to go out and win this game it would have been big for them obviously but I mean they're still the conference champions and you know I think they can build off of that more so than you know this bowl win if they would have gotten it absolutely agree and you know Nick Saban kind of kind of commented after the game about how he was really excited for his guys that came back and that now we're going to enter the draft. And he kind of spoke about how he expects that from his guys, right? I think we've kind of – we talked about it last week where Dabo had his first opt-out. Well, Nick Saban didn't have hardly any opt-outs, if any, this, this go-around. And those guys performed extremely well and, and boosted their draft stock, if anything. Yeah, and that's something that, you know – Personally, I don't expect that from Alabama guys. If Alabama isn't competing for a championship, I expect those guys to kind of just move on with their career because it's a business there. But I think this year really showed that maybe they have a, a good, strong culture that's not just on business, but also on you know having fun and winning football games. You know, just to play with each other. Absolutely. You know, and for Kansas State, obviously won the Big Twelve. We talked about maybe a little controversially, but listen, trophy's still in the trophy yeah, case. Exactly. There's no taking it away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're kind of building a program out there in Kansas now to where Oklahoma and Texas are leaving. That's two huge teams, two teams that have dominated the pack, uh, the Big 12 for a really, really long time, leaving for the SEC in years to come. Does Kansas State now kind of look like that next team to kind of take control of the Big 12? I think they definitely have a good chance at that. Um, I think right now it's probably going to be TCU that does that. But, you know, I think that's going to be a conference that's up for grabs for the first time in a while. Like you're saying, Oklahoma... And, and Texas have kind of been the teams in that conference. And now I think, you know, conference realignment, in my opinion, has a lot of flaws with it. But I think one of the one of the benefits of it is we'll see a lot of new teams competing for that conference and a conference that, you know, historically has been producing really good players and, uh, you know, explosive offenses, fun to watch teams. And I think it'll be even more interesting now to watch those those games go down. Yeah, you know, you mentioned, you know, lots of offense, very little defense. I think this year in the Big 12, we almost had like a change. Like you could almost sense that something was going differently because we didn't have these massive shootout games like we were used to seeing where it was in the 50s and sometimes even in the 60s in points. We had more games in the 30s and in the 20s with winners. Yeah, it's really interesting to see that. And I think, you know, I think some of that goes to Texas and Oklahoma because them having to shift over to the SEC, they'll have to play more defense. And so I think even though they didn't perform great this year, those two teams are still the the big dogs in that conference, in my opinion. They're always getting the high recruits. They're always supposed to be good teams. And so I think them having to shift their focus more to defense forces the other teams in the conference to do the same thing. And it's just it's it's fun to watch, you know, just how, how teams progress and how the conferences change as years go on. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned going to the SEC. I was just going to ask you if you thought that that had any kind of influence on them. And like you said, obviously we're so used to having – 
Texas and Oklahoma as these big dogs. And obviously they recruit so well, both teams being ranked in the top five in recruiting this year, you know, which is personally, I'm kind of surprised for Oklahoma. You know, I know we're kind of getting off on a trail here, but after such a, not a poor year, but a poor year by Oklahoma standards, I was really surprised that they had a top five recruiting class. Yeah, I am too. You know, Brent Venables at Clemson, he always had the ability to recruit well defensively. And so I kind of wondered how he'd be able to recruit when it came to covering the whole team and what his pitch would be to certain guys, you know, because he still is a defensive-minded coach. And, you know, after the season they had, for him to still put out a recruiting class like that, it's, it's really impressive. And I think it's just, I mean, it's good for, you know, the Big 12 going forward too because now other schools are going to have to try to compete with Oklahoma and Texas while they're still in the conference until, you know, I think, 2025. So those big recruits going to the Big 12 still for right now is going to help these schools like Kansas State and TCU stay competitive. Absolutely. You know, I think it's I think it's going to be very interesting to see. We've mentioned these new teams coming in. Obviously, you've got Cincinnati, Houston, UCF, and BYU joining the conference this upcoming year. It's going to be a big conference this year and a conference that is going to be very up for grabs. Obviously, Cincinnati made the college football playoff a couple years ago. UCF has, has been really, really good. They've had, uh, at least in the last couple of years, they've had really good teams who... You know, a couple of years ago, they dubbed themselves the national champions yeah. because they went undefeated. They were the only undefeated team in the country. So I think it's going to be interesting to see kind of how those guys stack up on a week-to-week basis against Big 12 competition. Yeah, I really look forward to that. It's like, it, it honestly feels like a conference that I would put together in, in a video game or something like that. But it's going to be real life, and it's going to be a lot of different teams with from different parts of the country with different kind of recruits, with, with different schemes. And I'm really excited to see what, what can play out in that conference next year. Yeah, absolutely agree. I think if if anything, the Big Twelve is getting better. I know they're going to lose their two best teams and their two biggest brands, but I think they're setting themselves up to recover really well. I know for a little while there, after the news of Oklahoma Texas came out, it was like panic mode. The Big Twelve is not going to exist anymore. This team is going to go to the ACC. This team is going to go to the, the SEC. This team is going to go to the Pac twelve, Big Ten, blah 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 blah. And I think they handled it really well. I think they responded really well. I think this this is going to be something to where the Pac-12 needs to kind of take that as an example. Obviously, if it is indeed that USC and UCLA go to the Big Ten, who are they going to replace it with? And I think that, you know, they need to look at the Big 12 and how they handle that situation with with confidence, with respect, and went out and got four really good teams that I think we could all agree deserve to be in a Power 5 conference and, and are big enough brands to where they're going to attract recruits to perform at the power five level yeah the, those four programs have have been consistently some of the best group of five schools i mean i know byu's independent but i count them as a group of five you know they've they've all been really consistent over the past few years and have been you know ranked on a week-to-week basis and so it's exciting to see those guys be able to com- uh, compete at a higher level yeah i'd be interested to see kind of like you know like you said lots of these teams are ranked so i'd be interested to see like how long at least one of these teams have been ranked in the ap top 25 because I feel like maybe for at least most of this year all of them are ranked BYU was ranked for a little while UCF finished the season ranked Cincinnati was ranked in there for a little bit you know Houston had these big expectations and while they didn't necessarily perform to the level I think everybody thought they were going to I think they still went like eight and four and had a really really solid year so you know the Big 12 is going to do really well unfortunately Kansas State did not get this win in this one but we talked about it last week I just felt like Alabama just had way too much to lose it's something to where people are going to start jumping shit. People are going to start panicking if they lost this game, but they didn't. Alabama won this game 45-20 to over Kansas State in the All-State Sugar Bowl. Moving into the upset of the New Year's Six Bowls, 
Number 16, Tulane on a last second touchdown wins the game over USC 46 to 45. Obviously, I picked Tulane. I felt really good about it. I'm not going to lie. When USC jumped up to the lead, I turned the game off. I was like, you know what? I don't I don't necessarily want to watch Southern California win. I don't really like them, you know, whatever. And all of a sudden my dad texts me and he's like, why are you like, are you watching? This? this is crazy. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And I check ESPN and, and two lanes on like the 10 yard line going into score with 18 seconds left or something like that. Um, you know, it's a feel good story. A, a, a big team, a big brand, a team that should have been in the college football playoff as long as they take care of business in one more game loses to a group of five team. Yeah, it's, it's really fun to watch. And this is why I said earlier, this is the best week of college football I think I've seen ever. Um, this is a game that I thought was going to go USC's way. It looked like it was going to for most of the game. Tulane just found a way to keep fighting, keep battling, and they you know, showed a lot of heart in that game. I think that's going to be big for their program, going, like really big for their program going forward. Absolutely. You know, if you look at Tulane, they won 12, they went 12 and 2 this year after going 2 and 10 last year. I mean, I don't know how you turn around a program that well, that quickly to where you're not just winning games against like group of five teams. You beat USC, like a good USC team with a Heisman Trophy winner on roster and playing in this game. Yeah, it's just really, it's insane to say the least. I mean, to compete with a team of that caliber is, is already a, a huge accomplishment. To get to this game is a huge accomplishment. But to go out and win it after being down as big as they were, I mean, it's just, I, I don't think I've seen a game that I've enjoyed watching as much as that one in a long time. Yeah, you know, I think the, the criminal part about this whole game was that it was so early on a Monday morning. Like, yeah. you know, is that, I think kickoff was at like 1 o'clock on a Monday afternoon, you know, so people kind of struggle to watch it. And I think it's got to be because, you know, not many people kind of expect this game to be close. You know, I picked Tulane. I felt good about my pick, but you know, it was almost like a like a like a fun kind of oh haha, I picked Tulane, whatever. Yeah. But they did it. I mean, Pratt played extremely well. They they did really really good, kind of you know showcasing how bad USC is at defense, and they took advantage of it. Yeah, they did, and I think you know you talk about Pratt playing well. Caleb Williams also put up a crazy good game, and so you know you look at his stat line. Over well over 400 yards, five touchdowns. You think, oh, USC's got this one in the bag, and I mean, I don't, I don't know how, but Tulane managed to pull pull it out, and you know, it's just it's just a good good like you said, feel good story. So, I don't know, man. It's just USC. I thought they had that one in the bag, and they just didn't. Yeah, you know, I think something that needs to be talked about in this with with Tulane is that they beat Kansas State earlier this year. So, you know, if you look at their wins at the end of the year. They beat two top 10 ranked teams, two teams playing in New Year's Six Bowls, one in a New Year's Six Bowl. So, you know, I think as Kansas State season went on, they were definitely glad that Tulane kept winning. And, you know, they'll be really, really glad because they can say, well, I mean, look, we lost to Tulane by seven points. Clearly, they're a good team. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a good thing for the for the Wildcats in that one. But I mean, I mean, we can't even just I can't even get past the fact that they won two games last year and they went twelve and two this year. It's just so impressive. Such a such a good coach out there and coach Will Fritz. Just credit to the guys. I'm so happy for them. Yeah, and we talked about it, you know, last episode about how, you know, with all these conference realignments happening, a new group of five school is going to have to make themselves the big dogs in the group of five. And a win like this really propels Tulane to have that opportunity, you know, turning around their program this quickly and then going into next year, they have a really good chance at being a team that is a staple in the group of five um, you know, college football world. 
Yeah, and I mean, you're, we were talking about recruiting last time. They're in such a good area being right outside of New Orleans. Such a fun area, you know, as, as college students, you know, we enjoy things outside of college as well. You know, there's there's lots of stuff to do in Columbia that we like to go out and do, right? We go out to the Vistas. We go, you know, there's lots of places to go play putt-putt, bowling, all kinds of fun stuff. You know, I think sometimes these college football programs, and I think we're going to see it a lot more. The ones in bigger areas with bigger brands are going to be able to recruit better because they'll have NIL deals more. You know, if you look at like a USC, a, a Miami, a Pitt, Kind of these teams in bigger cities, bigger brands. I think Tulane's going to be one of those. Is going to benefit them a lot, especially yeah, because I mean, and just New Orleans is a fun place to be. So along with the NIL, you can you can go have a good time as a college you know athlete, and then um, you know we're talking about conference realignment and the playoffs. I mean, they'll have a good chance of making the playoffs as a Group of Five conference champion. So. I mean, Tulane's in a really good spot now to make themselves a, a real staple in this in the college football world. I absolutely agree, and and it's going to be really really exciting to see, kind of going forward, how that affects their recruiting, how that affects their their their. Obviously, they've got like a twenty thousand seat stadium. It's it's a tiny little stadium, but it's so cool to see these different venues in college football. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe one day we'll get to see where like a group of five school can host a playoff game. I think that would be awesome. I've got a couple of different ideas about that, but we don't need to talk about that today. <laughs> we could talk about it for 45 freaking minutes, but we're not going to do it. Um, Tulane, with the upset of the weekend, getting the win over USC 46-45 to in the Cotton Bowl. Moving into our last non-playoff game of the day, number 11 Penn State took care of business over number 8 Utah 35-21 to in the final Rose Bowl game. Yeah, and... This is a game that the more I look at, you know, all these games, really, I didn't really pick well in, in our picks. And, um, you know, Penn State really surprised me. Um, I thought they were a good team, but I thought Utah was a better team. And I think Penn State kind of proved that those two losses that they had really were good losses. Um, you know, they, they took care of business in the rest of the Big Ten, but I said, you know, last episode, well, in the two games that they had that were, you know, actual really good teams, they lost. And I think they kind of, you know, silenced me and a lot of other people in this game, proving that they really were the real deal. Yeah, you know, I was really surprised. That offense looked explosive all day, obviously having many, many big plays, big runs, big throws, and just almost looked unstoppable. I I, I can't remember. I don't think they turned the ball over one time. That defense looked really, really, really good, holding uh, Utah to only seven points and really not really scoring. They scored a touchdown at the very, very end of the game, kind of a consolation prize almost mm-hmm. in the second half. You know, is that a story of Penn State playing really well, or is that a story of maybe Utah for the second year in a row kind of just got screwed because um, Cam Rising gets knocked out of the game? Yeah, I think it, it could be a little bit of both. You know, in these Power Five programs, they have to have a next man up mentality, and so with, with Rising out, you know, I think it kind of shows you know maybe where Utah can be next year without Rising, and so I don't know. I, I think it's. You know, a little bit of both. Penn State really did play well in this game, and they, they surprised me. And I think Utah, they didn't play poorly, but, you know, they can't keep getting to the situation where they're in these big bowl games and then losing. I think Penn State did a good job showing that, hey, we can compete in the postseason. We are a really good team. We just, you know, unfortunately had to play two of the best four teams in the country. Yeah, you know, and I, and I think that, you know, Michigan and Ohio State win the college football playoff, and while both of them lost, Played really, really well. Put up monster numbers. We'll talk about that in a couple minutes. So, you know, I think that 
the Big Ten, if you're sitting here in your Big Ten, we kind of criticized them last week. Like, you know, you got three really good teams, and then you got a bunch of really crappy teams. You know, I don't, I can't really think of anybody else from the Big Ten that had a really good bowl performance that was a big brand. Um, you know, obviously Purdue kind of got screwed because their whole team, their coach left, and then they got absolutely walloped by LSU. But, you know, I think this was kind of a story of the Big Ten going, listen, shut up, okay? I know we we got two teams in and we both lost, but I think on freak games, obviously, you know, the Ohio State kicker, feel bad for the kid. We'll talk about that in a couple minutes, but he has a really good game, and then I think the moment just kind of got to him, the pressure got to him. And sometimes that happens, right? These are college kids still. They're they're learning. They're, they're growing as, as college students. And so, you know, credit to the Big Ten. Credit to Penn State for coming out and playing really, really well in this game and kind of proving that, listen, I, I think the Nittany Lions, especially when the, the when the playoff expands, they're going to be a force to reckon with, and you're definitely not going to want to get them at home. Yeah, for sure. They're, they're a really good team, and, you know, this is something they can build off of next year and say, hey, we can we can really compete with these with these big dogs if you maybe if we get a few more recruits. So you can talk to recruits and say, hey, you don't want to go to these big guys and just be another number. You can, you want to come here and be the guy and lead us to to the promised land. Yep, I definitely think that that Penn State is a couple pieces away. You know, obviously they're going to have to replace Sean Clifford, a guy who's been there for a hundred years, who's put up really really good numbers and had a really really good game here. So it's going to be interesting to see. You know, I'm not really sure who they have up next. I'm not really sure if they have a good recruit or not coming in. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see kind of if that, you know, they've had Trace McSorley, they've had uh, Sean Clifford now, two really good quarterbacks come through the system. They've kind of set that bar now. It's going to be interesting to see if the next guy coming in can hold that standard. Yeah, and I talked about last episode, I've always loved Penn State, and so it would make me extremely happy to, to watch them, you know, become the, the staple team in the Big Ten East. And I think they're not too far away from that happening. Absolutely agree. Um, you know, I think that we kind of criticized their coach. I can't. James Franklin. Mm-hmm. There it is. Sorry. Uh, we, we really criticized him a little bit last episode and said, well, maybe it's on him. Maybe he can't win the big game. And, you know, he shut up a lot of haters. While he had a stupid hat on, he shut up a lot of haters. If you haven't seen the hat, it's kind of a joke on Twitter if you don't get it. But, um, you know, credit to him. A lot of people were calling for his job if he lost his game, which is crazy to think. But, he just couldn't win the big game, and so finally, he finally gets over the hump. He finally wins a big game that isn't just a fluke. Obviously, they, they've beat Ohio State before, but I know one of them was on, like, a blocked field goal that they returned for a touchdown. And, you know, it's just kind of a fluky game where 10 times out of 10, that's probably not going to happen, but sometimes there's just that random kind of crazy 1% chance it happens, uh, um, and that's what what we've seen. But... Penn State took care of business in this one. There's no denying it. They were obviously the better team. They obviously wanted it more. And they beat Utah 35-21 to in the Rose Bowl. Moving into the college football playoff in the Fiesta Bowl. Number three, TCU in dramatic fashion. Took down number two, Michigan, 51-45. to This game, you know, at the very, very beginning... Michigan drove straight down the field. They got to the one-yard line, and I was like, wow, this is this Michigan is going to kill them. Oh, yeah, oh, gosh, they can't stop them. And then they run this absolutely ridiculous, like, <laughs> terrible Philly special play that gets, like, 15 yards backwards, and it's like, oh, no. And TCU took and ran with it, jumped up quickly to, I think, about a 21-point lead at one point. Yeah, they had a really good game, and I think this game kind of goes to show – you know, I was wrong. Uh, I've talked about a lot about how the college football expansion can can lead to more blowouts in the in the semifinals because we haven't really seen a lot of good semifinal games. 
Well, we, we saw a good semifinal game in this one, and not just a good one. It was a great one. TCU, they, they just kept showing over and over again that they wanted it more, and you know they held off Michigan's attempts at the end of the game. They, they got up to a big lead early. They, they played really good defense early in the game in the second half. They kind of fell apart, but then the offense stepped up even more. It was just a game where TCU, you know, they looked like they just wanted it more than Michigan did. Yeah, and, you know, this is kind of a game where it's got a little bit of controversy behind it with some maybe poor refereeing decisions. We'll kind of talk about that. You know, I think the big one, there's two really big ones that stand out. It's the no touchdown on the big pass and then the no targeting call. What are your thoughts on that? So I never really saw a good angle of the, the touchdown pass that was overturned. I thought I thought it was a touchdown when I first watched it. And then, you know, it's but it shouldn't have mattered, right? They get the ball on the one-inch line, and they can't punch it in. You know, at a certain point, you have to blame Michigan for that one. You know, it should have been a touchdown, maybe, maybe not. You know, I didn't see a good replay of it. But they have to get in the end zone right there. You're on the one-inch line, just punch it in. And, you know, obviously they failed to do that. They turned the ball over. And, and then TCU, you know, takes advantage of it. And then on the targeting, I, I didn't see any angle where it looked like a non-targeting. It looked like it was a blatant targeting, in my opinion. Um, you know, maybe it wasn't intentional, but it was still targeting. And it would have, you know, maybe changed the outcome a little bit. Um, you know, it gives them the first down and they have the ball. They have no timeouts, though. So, you know, it'd be interesting to see how that plays out. But, you know, at the end of the day, as Michigan, you can't leave it up to the refs. Sure, those are two bad calls. Um, or you know, missed calls, whatever it may be, but you can't leave it up to the refs in a game of this this magnitude. Yeah, you know, I think that's a that's a good point you bring up. Where on the touchdown pass, like you said, I thought it was a touchdown. I didn't really see anything to where there was video evidence to where they could say it wasn't a touchdown. So I would be really interested to kind of hear the the thinking behind that because I just felt like there wasn't enough evidence. The call stands is called, whatever, move on. But you're right, like. You're on the one-inch yard line. I felt the same way when South Carolina was playing Clemson earlier this year, and we were on the one-yard line, and we threw the pick. Like, just hand the ball off. Like, just QB sneak it. Do something. I'm not. Some teams today in college football refuse to line up under center. Just QB sneak it. Like, you get at least six yards doing that. So, Or maybe not six yards, six inches doing that. So I, I thought it was really kind of a bizarre play calling from, from Michigan, especially inside the 10-yard line. So, you know, and on the targeting – I've been very, very vocal about I don't think that targeting should necessarily be a thing. Obviously, if it's bad, I think that, like, obviously there should be a rule against helmet to helmet. It's dangerous. Let's make the game safer. But I'm against it. Sometimes it's just, like, what are you supposed to do, right? So, but as much as I hate it, this was targeting. Yeah. And there's no getting around that. I think we can all all agree he lowers the head. He hits it. There's a launch. He hits him in the head or neck area. I'm not sure it really matters. I mean, they've still got to go score a touchdown in like 20 seconds or something like that, and it would have put them on like the 45-yard line. So I'm not sure it really matters, but it's still targeting. There's no getting around that fact. Yeah, you just hate to see the game, you know, have the opportunity to be decided like that because, you know, Michigan probably doesn't go down and score a touchdown and, and win the game. They probably don't, but there's a chance they do. And so you hate to see the game kind of get decided in a way on, on that kind of play where – you know, if the rule is going to be in the rule book where, you know, targeting is what it is, then that has to be a, a targeting call. That has to be the penalty. And the fact that they reviewed it for as long as they did and, you know, don't see targeting. I, I mean, every angle I saw looked like targeting. So I, I don't know. You know, I was talking with one of my friends during the game. This is a situation on both of those calls where the ref should have to explain on the field what they saw. 
if, if it's a close call like that, I'd like to see them say, oh, like it was he was short because of this or it wasn't targeting because of this. Uh, you can't just go out there and say, oh, no, that wasn't targeting. Like I, I want to know why because, you know, to me, it looked pretty pretty blatant that it was targeting. Yeah, you know, I saw an interesting thing on, on Twitter about how referees should have their own post-game press conferences. And while maybe they shouldn't, but maybe they should, or at least have to do something to where they are held accountable of their calls. You know, I've kind of thought about that a lot, and especially through the bowl season. You know, in bowl season, it can kind of just be crazy refereeing games and kind of you get these kind of weird matchups where you've got officials from the ACC doing a an SEC versus Pac-12 game where they probably don't like that SEC team because maybe it's like Clemson. Let's just play devil's advocate. It's Clemson and and or um sorry South Carolina and they're you know Clemson fans. Well, maybe they're not going to root for South Carolina and they're going to kind of secretly let that influence their calls. So I think that you know there needs to be some sort of accountability. Because right now, like, they're just like, oh, nope, wasn't targeting. And then they just go home. They get to move on with their lives. So, you know, I think there needs to be an accountability. I don't know how there we could do that. But I definitely agree. Like, give me an explanation. Like, how is that not targeting? Because maybe I don't understand the rules right. And I, I want to understand the rules right. Because, you know, when I'm in a stadium and I'm looking at a replay, I want to be like, oh, I think it's this. But instead, I'm like, well... He hits him in the helmet, but it's like the side of the helmet. So maybe it's already, maybe it's not. Like, no, no, no. Let's, we need to make the rules so obvious that every single time it's targeting, we're like, yeah, that, that's got to be targeting. He's got to go. And, you know, TCU definitely escaped when they would be down to starting safety for the first half against a Georgia team that you do not want to be down anybody. So, you know, I think they escaped one. And, and like we said, I don't think it would have mattered. So to, to have lost your safety for the – for the first half of the national championship game and still won the game and it not really matter would have almost been more painful. So, you know, like I said, I hate targeting. I think it's a dumb rule. I think that yes, we need some kind of rule there, but I think targeting is way overused. It's to the point now to where there's at least almost one targeting call a game now. And they just, if, if they're going to get kicked out of the game, we just can't have that. We can't have games being decided because in the second quarter, some team's starting middle linebacker gets knocked out for targeting when, I mean, it's kind of targeting, but it's just a football play. Like, what are you supposed to do? Yeah, there's definitely some plays where, you know, the, the offensive guy will, like, go down a little bit as the guy's going in for a tackle, and it's like, what else can the guy do? He did everything right and just happened to make helmet-to-helmet contact. And it's like, what, what do you want him to do? I get that you have to care about player safety, but sometimes it's not even, you know, necessarily about the player was being unsafe. It was more about, well the offensive guy lowered just at the wrong time, and then he just happened to hit him head-to-head, and it's like, well, what else can he do? He shouldn't be kicked out of the game because you know of a simple mistake like that where it really wasn't even his fault. And then also to your point of you know maybe you know it's an SEC Pac-12 game, there's an ACC ref hoping that the Pac-12 wins. Um, I think the refs should just be you know universal, just NCAA refs. Why does it need to be conference in conference? Because, you know, the, the goal in those games where it's ACC refs in a you know SEC Big Ten game or something like that, the goal is to have no bias. But there's always going to be a little bit of bias. So just let it just let them all be NCAA refs where maybe they do call regional games, but most regions you know for conferences overlap a little bit. And so sure they may they might mainly call ACC games, but don't make them ACC refs because then it always seems like there's a little bit of bias there in some way. Yeah, you know. I talked about it earlier this year when when Texas played Iowa State and there was that controversy of well, 
it's targeting, but they didn't call it, and he fumbled it, and, well, you know, blah, 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 blah. I was a referee for a little while. While I didn't care who won, because I was doing, like, these little kid rec games, like, eventually, about halfway through the game, you kind of start, like, you know, not rooting for a team, but you're like, oh, well, I hope this team wins. Even if you're still calling the game really well, even if you're still, that's just human instinct. Like, I just feel like, you know, as sports people, we do that naturally. And so I think to your point, you're, you're really onto something. I think with the whole, like, why are there conference referees? I don't think that should really matter. I felt, I've felt this way for a while. You know, I think that there's so many other ways you could do it that would, would leave out this kind of like, oh, well, he's a big 10 ref. So clearly he's not rooting for the sec. Well, like, okay, well maybe he isn't, maybe he is. And that shouldn't matter. Right. Like it should just be like, okay, well on call today is John Klein. Like, okay, who cares? Yeah, John, John can go do whatever he wants because he's just an NCAA ref and he's not like a, a big 12 ref doing a PAC 12 big 10 game. And well, well, he's going to root for the West coast because nobody likes the big 10. Like, okay, but, it shouldn't matter. Nobody should yeah. care about that. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, at the end of the day, though, TCU, I think, deserved this win. And I think, you know, despite maybe some missed calls, there's always going to be missed calls. And they're always going to be, you know, overplayed in the in the playoff games. People are going to say, oh, like, this call determines the whole game. It doesn't. There's missed calls on almost every play. And so, you know, sure, those two might be two of the bigger missed calls. But I guarantee if you watch back on that game, TCU had some own, you know, some – plays where the refs didn't go their way as well and so I don't think necessarily that game was determined on those two plays it definitely wasn't determined on the refs I think TCU just outplayed Michigan at the end of the day yeah you know to your point if we're being really honest there's probably holding every single play you know I I go to a lot of football games obviously being at South Carolina and it's funny that you mentioned that because I started thinking like I don't know that I've ever seen a game like South Carolina Virginia Tech Clemson wherever I am where a big play doesn't happen and everybody's like holding it's holding like yeah, because there's holding every single – that's how you block, yeah. right? It's just like sometimes they call it, sometimes they don't. It's kind of the beauty of the game where like, oh, how far over the line can you go before you get smacked on the wrist? So, you know, to your point, I don't necessarily think the referees has as much of a play in this one. TCU is a feel-good story. I'm so happy they won, and we're going to get into that game here in a couple minutes. Um, but like we said, TCU won. Game's done. Trophy's in the trophy case. They're getting ready to play on Monday in Los Angeles. They took down Michigan 51 to 45 in the Fiesta Bowl. Moving into the Peach Bowl, another thriller in the playoffs. Number one Georgia hangs on against number four Ohio State 42 to 41. Ohio State really kind of jumped out to a big lead there to start the game, and I was really, really surprised. I thought this was something to where, you know, I didn't think it was going to be very close. Honestly, I thought Georgia was a way, way better team. But they looked they looked kind of sluggish on defense, and Ohio State came out and looked phenomenal on offense. Yeah, for sure. This this game definitely could go on either way. You know, even down to the last play. And Kirby Smart in his post game, you know, right after the game, made some good points. If they don't, you know, step it up a little bit, they're you know risking a national championship here. They they're playing, you know, they they're playing a good team there, obviously. But they played some of their worst football in that game. It looked like, and they just managed to squeak by. And, you know, sometimes good teams have to do that. You have to escape, you know, with a win sometimes. But, you know, on this big stage, you can't just plan on escaping. And so, you know, Georgia, in my opinion, gets a little bit lucky in this game. They, they should not have won this game, I don't think. You know, um, they had, you know, a slim chance to win it as the game went on. And 
they, you know, they escape, you know, good for them, but they, they definitely need to step it up if they're going to, you know, win the national championship game. Yeah, I think uh, a kind of under storyline in this one is the phenomenal play of C.J. Stroud. We talked about how, you know, maybe his, his Ohio State career isn't as good as some other quarterbacks because he didn't beat Michigan, he didn't win a college football playoff game, like this, that, and the other. I think he shut everybody up with this one. He had a phenomenal play uh, at one point in the game where he, like, scrambles left, scrambles right, steps up, and finds a guy in the back of the end zone and scores. And I even tweeted out. I was like, wow. I mean, good Lord, that was a good play by by a guy who earlier in the year, I was like, dude, this guy's going to win the Heisman. I've been super high on C.J. Stroud. I think he's a great quarterback. But, you know, sometimes we see in Ohio State quarterbacks, there's a lot of pressure on you. Like, mm-hmm. Columbus is a big place. I've been to Columbus. I've seen that that campus, that stadium, it's a phenomenal place. If you haven't been, I encourage you get out there. It's a really really cool scene. But I mean, that's a lot of a lot of pressure on those shoulders, and I think he played phenomenally. Yeah, he definitely answered any questions that were about him after the Michigan game, and I think he he really led those guys to what should have been a win for them. And you know, unfortunately for him, he lost his you know his best target, Marvin Harrison, in the game. And I think you know you can't blame a game on injuries, but realistically, in my opinion, if Marvin Harrison's in the game for that last drive. Ohio State probably, you know, either scores a touchdown or they're in, you know, getting a way easier field goal at the end of the game. So, you know, I think when it comes down to it, Georgia just managed to escape this one. And Ohio State, you know, following C.J. Stroud on this one, really played well and, you know, answered a lot of questions. Yeah, Marvin Harrison, as crazy as it was, had five catches for 106 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, on, on five catches, he had 106 yards and two touchdowns I he averaged 21.2 yards a catch that's a phenomenal day and he was torching that Georgia secondary felt like every time they were throwing the ball he was wide open some 30 yards down the field and and running for an extra 20 so you know I think that obviously that was a big miss you know Marvin Harrison Jr. a guy kind of following in his dad's footsteps has that kind of namesake has that pressure on him to perform and he performs really really well all year obviously was a finalist for the Bolitnikoff obviously uh, Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee won that, but a guy who should have deserved it, but obviously Jalen Hyatt had a really, really good year. So, you know, to your point, that injury probably hurts a lot. You know, I hadn't even thought about that, so I'm glad you brought that up. You know, obviously on that play, we'll talk about it for a minute, It was it targeting, was it wasn't targeting? I didn't think it was targeting. You know, obviously it was a big hit, and in the moment you were like, oh, wow, like he, yeah, that's, he's gone. But they slowed it down, and you look at it in shoulder-to-shoulder contact. So, you know, I think the referees got this one right, and it would have been something to where if they would have called targeting, Ann Arbor might have exploded because <laughs> it would have been something to where, you know, how is that targeting but the one in, in the Michigan-TCU game isn't. So credit to the referees. I think they got that one right. Um, but, you know, I think it's just it's an unfortunate thing that sometimes happens in games. Yeah, I agree. That definitely was not targeting, in my opinion. But, yeah, you know, you can't blame a game on injuries. Um, but, you know, after Georgia scored to, to take the lead, I say I say to my friend that I'm watching with, you know, they left too much time on the clock. You know, Ohio State has such a good offense that all it takes now is just a few big plays, which they can get pretty easily to get in field goal range, which they did. You know, it was still a long field goal, but the, the kicker can make those field goals. And so, you know, I think Georgia – really just got lucky in this one and you know with Marvin Harrison in the game potentially on that last drive I think Georgia probably doesn't escape and you know maybe some bad play calls there at the end of the game for for Ohio State to not get them you know a few yards closer for that field goal but at the end of the day 
you know, Georgia's just got to be excited to, you know, be playing for another national championship. Yeah, talking about that last drive, you know, C.J. Stroud has this big, long run of, like, 27 yards. They get within 50 yards of the field goal, and then they run the football. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, that's a long way to kick it. I don't care if this guy has made a 50-yarder already today. Like, that does not change the fact that this is still a really long field goal in a really high-pressure situation. So, you know, they, they run that draw. They think they lost, like, two yards in the play, and then the next play – they they throw a throw a pass that ends up I think it went incomplete before Georgia with the ice calls the timeout so I I mean that's just I was I was shocked whenever I was watching it because I was thinking man like they're gonna run another two plays they're gonna pick up another twenty yards it's gonna be a chip shot they're gonna win this game and then they run it like a draw play where why in the world are you running up the gut on Georgia period but I mean. Who knows? I mean, this these people get paid a lot more money than I will probably ever get paid to do this 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 kind of not easy job, but job where I feel like sometimes they overthink it. You know, I thought that a lot with Marcus Satterfield. He overthought a lot of things, and I think this was just something where they should have just kept going. They should have played it like they needed to score a touchdown because if they do, they had that timeout in their back pocket. They might have even had two at the end of the game. I can't remember, but. They run the ball and they just get competent and obviously they get set up for this this Hollywood ending where the clock's gonna strike midnight, the New Year's gonna happen, he's gonna make the field goal, and the poor dude comes up and absolutely just gets it well wrong. It's it's so it was oh gosh, I felt bad for the kid watching yeah. it and I was like, Oh wow. Um, you know, so you know I don't know. I I feel like almost it's on the coaches. Yeah, it is, and I think what kinda goes, you know, a little under the radar here is that that one timeout call from Kirby Smart on the fake punt. I think if if they don't get that timeout off there, and you know that's not necessarily Kirby Smart um, seeing what what you know. I think somebody in the box or in the booth telling him, "Hey man, like you need to get a timeout right now. Like right now, it's timeout, timeout." And I think he gets it off just in the nick of time. And if he doesn't, this game probably goes to, to Ohio State. And so I think you know at the end of the game, um, I think Georgia kind of just out coached Ohio State. Which you know, I think that's kind of to be expected a little bit. Kirby Smart, in my opinion, is a much better coach than Ryan Day, and so I think Ohio State was just a little bit, a little bit short of um, you know coming out of this game with a huge upset. Yeah, I definitely think that that timeout call is probably the play of the game, as kind of crazy as it is, because Ohio State pick it up and they got like four yards in a time where Ohio State didn't look like they could be stopped. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think that this is something to where they use that as momentum. They go down. Maybe they score a touchdown, maybe they don't. But even if they get a field goal, they still win the game. Mm-hmm. Like, there's still no getting by it. They would still win. Even if Georgia goes for two, they still win by a point. So mm-hmm. I think it's going to be something to where, you know, Ryan Day and the Ohio State offense is going to look back and watch the film and go, yeah, gosh, like, maybe we left one on the table there. But what happened happened. Trophies are in the trophy case. Games are going to be played. Georgia gets the win 42-41 to in the Peach Bowl. You know, I tweeted out after the games were done that I felt like finally after eight years, we had a playoff worthy of the playoffs. Like, obviously, I think the first one was really good. You know, you couldn't keep Florida State out. Oregon embarrassed them. Ohio State proven, proving that they deserve to be in. They beat Alabama. But I feel like every kind of time after that, there was one blowout to where, well, maybe this team should be in. Maybe it shouldn't. You know, you got Michigan State, Notre Dame a couple times, Ohio State once. Uh, Cincinnati last year, 
just games where maybe they shouldn't be in. But finally, this year, we have two unbelievable games. Yeah, definitely the best playoffs we've had so far. And I, I don't think I could have ever expected something like this to happen where all four teams showed up and looked like they really deserved to be in. They played like they deserved to be in. They played like they wanted to be there. And they were all actually competitive games. And they looked like they were teams that, you know, a few plays go the other way. And we're looking at, you know, maybe Ohio State's playing Michigan in this one. So, you know, it's just going into the 12-team playoff, this gives me a lot of hope for what college football can be. And this playoffs has just been one of the greatest so far. Yeah, you know, and I think that's something else that kind of speaks to that 12-team playoff is how good some of those other bowl games were. You know, you look at, at the at the um, Rose Bowl game was really good. The Cotton Bowl was really good. Obviously, the Sugar Bowl and the Orange Bowl kind of got out of hand, but I think that that could also be a testament of opt-outs and teams saying, well, you know, we don't necessarily need to go for this one. Um, and, and games outside of that, like, you know, the Sun Bowl was really good. The Gator Bowl was really good. Teams that maybe they do get in, maybe they don't, just kind of being on that fringe of, of the top six best teams after that. So, you know, I, I've got a lot of excitement. I've got a lot of hope going into it. But we're finally going to get in the national championship game. We've been talking for forever, but lots <laughs> to break down. Uh, exciting time in college football for sure. But let's talk about it. Number three, TCU, taking on number one, Georgia, in L.A. at the SoFi Stadium, uh, a big, brand-new, really nice stadium where they don't allow tailgating, apparently. But that game is at 7.30 on Monday night. Georgia opens as a 12-and-a-half-point favorite. Yeah, and I think, you know, kind of deservedly so. They, they have been, they've been dominant all year, Georgia. And so I think going into this game, a lot of people are just expecting another Georgia blowout. But based on the way these two teams have been playing very recently in the, in the playoff games, you can't count TCU out. That this whole year, you know, maybe they've had a little bit of luck where the ball bounced their way a few times that maybe it shouldn't have. But I think at a certain point, you got to say that's not luck, that's skill. They're, they're finding a way to continue to do this. And I think the one game they've had this year where the ball didn't go their way was the Kansas State game. And they probably should have won that game. That's the one game where I'm like, you know, you know, they did everything right and they still managed to lose. I, I think personally, TCU has been that feel-good story all year where they've just managed to escape games that they probably shouldn't have. They found a way to win games where it's like, oh, they have no chance. They come back from, from down big. And I think TCU this this in this game can really prove that, hey, this whole year it wasn't luck. We've been that team all year. Yeah, you know, and I think we, we talked about it last week. Sometimes the best teams are also the luckiest teams. And we've seen it time and time again with TCU just kind of escaping. But in a time in college football where – just escape, just get by, and and you'll be fine. So, you know, I picked against TCU. I thought Michigan was gonna was gonna dominate. I thought that it was gonna be a close game, and it, obviously it was. But I thought Michigan would get the better of them, and they almost did in the end. But just held on. And and a Horn Frogs team that like I feel like the score is kind of misleading, but they played really well defensively, creating a lot of turnovers, getting a couple fourth fourth down stops, even in the red zone. Yeah, and I think this game really. Could can go either way. I could see a world where TCU's defense steps up and it's a defensive battle, or or a game where you know neither team can stop the other one. I think we, that that that's not you know crazy to say that this could be a real possibility where oh maybe it is a fifty fifty game or maybe it's a you know twenty one to fourteen kind of game. And I think it's interesting to see two teams that both kind of 
have had games where you know maybe the offense struggles or maybe the defense struggles and you know usually in, in the championship game you have two teams that the identity has been set where you know what, what's going to happen you know maybe LSU's offense in that one year where they're just they're, they're going to drop 50 points on you they're, they're ridiculous they're they're going to be crazy good on offense and maybe the defense lacks a little bit but in this game you know both teams have had games where you know their offense has been unstoppable they've had games where their defenses have been crazy good so I'm really excited to see how this can this one turns out yeah, and you know, you think about it, you could see a blowout happening, or you could see a game being decided on a last-second field goal, and I think that that's how it should be, right? I think that you know, we've come accustomed in the past couple of years to where, you know, even last year, I felt like Georgia was the better team. Georgia should win. Obviously, Alabama taking care of Ohio State, not in blowout fashion, but in dominating fashion a couple of years ago. Clemson taking care of Alabama, kind of the same fashion. With, with Trevor Lawrence going 15-0 and that year. And so I think that finally, after a couple tries, you know, not saying that last year wasn't a close game, but I think that this game is just kind of offer going to offer something unpredictable and something that, you know, college football is known for craziness, known for chaos, and I think that we're going to get it today. Yeah, I'm excited to see, you know, you talk about the time Clemson blew out Alabama. I could see this one being more like the time where Deshaun Watson has to hit Hunter Renfro in the last seconds of the game to win it. I think this game's going to come down to, you know, maybe who gets the big stop and who has the ball last. And I, I, you know, obviously I think everybody knows we're hoping that it's TCU unless you're a Georgia fan. So, I mean, I'm just excited to watch this one, really. Yeah, Monday night is is a very, very highly anticipated time. Um, we're going to talk about a little something kind of off script here. I don't even know that I told you about this. But I saw something earlier today saying that it's – it's bad that college football doesn't play their national championship on a Saturday. You know, obviously, uh, we're recording this on a Saturday. Tonight, there's NFL games on. There's big-time NFL. So, you know, my question to you is, is that something to where maybe the NCAA should say suck it to the NFL? Because I don't necessarily think that even though there's NFL games on, they're going to lose much of a target audience because I'm going to watch the college football playoff game. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like a lot of people kind of have in their mind if they're going to be college football fans or NFL fans. And then, you know, it obviously depends on if your team's playing it or not. But I think, you know, college football having it on a Monday, sure, it's a little bit weird. You might have to stay up a little bit later. But, I mean, football fans are going to watch it regardless. And so, you know, I could see, you know, maybe it being on a Saturday it would be, I don't know. I see it both ways, I guess. I think, you know, if it's on a Saturday – they definitely have more people, you know, staying up and watching it and enjoying the game, maybe. But I think on a Monday, the real football fans are going to show out, too. So it's like, I don't know. I see both sides. of it. What do you think? You know, I, I really was kind of – I hadn't thought about it before because in my head, like, it's always this, like the first or second Monday in, in January. It's always been that way. So whenever it was kind of brought up, I was like, you know, like that – you kind of monopolized this, this Saturday is college football day. So, you know, when whenever it was it was brought up and, and I read the tweet, I was kind of like, well, that's a good point. Like, I never really thought about it before. And, you know, it, I think it could be something to where I, you could tell the NFL, listen, don't play on Saturday because we're going to play on Saturday and ESPN's going to cover our game because the NFL games tonight are on ESPN. So I wonder, you know, maybe it's the NFL, maybe it's ESPN, maybe it's college football saying, no, we like playing on Monday night. But I think you're right. I think playing on a Saturday would be better, honestly, because – Right, like, I've got class Tuesday morning. Like, if this game goes to overtime, obviously I'm going to watch it, but that's going to affect me on Tuesday morning when I go to class. So I think that it could be something to where, 
you know, a, a lot of people, especially with, with real jobs and that have to be in at, at early times in the morning, don't necessarily get to finish these games live and, and run that risk of finding out who wins before getting to watch it themselves. So if you put it on a Saturday, you eliminate that because, you know, you've, you've still got Sunday to recover. Obviously, you can get up, you go to church, do whatever you got to do on a, on a Sunday afternoon. But I still think it would be maybe even better on a Saturday. Yeah, and looking back now, you know, the years that Clemson was in it, a lot of the time, you know, I was playing varsity basketball, and we'd have a game on that Monday. So I remember the year that Clemson, you know, won 44-16. to 16, I, I had to listen to the first couple of minutes of that game in my truck on the radio. I couldn't watch it. I, I actually missed the, the pick six that started it all for us. And so, like, looking back now, like, it would have been so much better to have that on a Saturday where, like, you don't have to run the risk of, you know, maybe being busy on a Monday. I mean – yeah, I hadn't really thought about it until now, but I, I think I agree with you. A Saturday would be, you know, a lot better. That is college football's day. So, you know, I don't really understand why it's on a Monday. I've never really thought about it, but no, you make, you make a really good point here. Yeah, I hadn't either. It was it was something to where I, I kind of read the tweet and I was like, huh, like, okay, that's a good, <laughs> yeah. that's a good question. Why yeah. isn't it on a Saturday? <laughs> I just kind of assumed like, oh, right, yep, it's on, it's on a Monday. But yeah. no, I mean, maybe it's something to where when they expand the playoffs, we can kind of see because I think it's going to be it's going to be later, right? It's going to be, you know, later in January because there's just more games to play. We're going to have to give these guys a break. They can't just play, 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 play. So, you know, there's going to be a break in there somewhere. There's going to be a bye week for somebody, a week to recover for, for other people. So maybe it is something going forward to where we play on a, on a Saturday and, it's it's in the middle of the NFL playoffs, and, and we say, listen, no, we're playing on Saturday. So you can play before us, but we're playing on Saturday night. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. That'd be probably the better way to do this. <clears throat> but you know what? I'm going to get into this game now. Um, I've been thinking a lot about this one, what, what my pick would be. And uh-huh. my, my mind tells me, you know, pick Georgia. It's the, it's the right – it's like it's the obvious choice, right? <laughs> but But my heart tells me I can't pick against TCU. But then I've also, you know, I've been picking a lot of games this year, and a lot of times I picked against TCU, and I was wrong almost every time. And so I'm trying to, you know, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit um, superstitious where, you know, I want to do what I have to do to help TCU win this game. And so I think, I think I'm gonna pick Georgia, but every part of me is rooting for TCU to win. I want to be wrong, but I'm picking Georgia hoping that I'm wrong. Okay, fair enough. You know, sometimes you got to do what you got to do to win the game. Um, you know, I picked, I've picked, i picked TCU all year. I've actually been really, really high on the Horned Frogs. I, I spoke out on the podcast when they were ranked like eighth and they had like three one-loss teams ahead of them. I was like, I mean, what, what are we doing, guys? This team's undefeated and they're winning games and taking care of business. So, you know, I picked Michigan. You know, you're right in a lot of sense. Like, Georgia feels like the obvious pick. They're, they're big, bad Georgia. They're defending national champions. But Max Duggan's on the other sideline. Yeah. And if I got to pick one player to lead my team, I'm picking Max Duggan. And that for that reason, because I think Max Duggan is a, is a phenomenal quarterback, I think he's a way, way better quarterback than Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett kind of struggled against Ohio State. I think that a TCU defense that creates turnovers like nobody's business is going to own this game. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of times in the playoffs, the, the number one obvious team – doesn't win it I mean with LSU yes but outside of that a lot of times it hasn't been that obvious team and I think this year kind of stays true to that narrative where college football is chaos the one seed doesn't have the best chance to win it it's really up for grabs and I think TCU can pull through but like I said I'm going with Georgia just so TCU wins 
That's my hope. You know, I, I'm glad that as as Clemson and Carolina fans, we could all agree that nobody likes Georgia. Yes, so, yes. You know, stick it to Georgia. I'm picking TCU. I'm going with my gut here. I just feel like TCU's got so much momentum. They've got America is behind them. Everybody wants Georgia to lose, like we said, except for Georgia fans, which <laughs> there are way too many of you. Just put that out there. Yes, and please stop barking at, at, at people. It's, <laughs> it's not normal. Get some help. You yeah. know, I mean, if you're watching, we love you, but... Don't don't root for Georgia, please. Yeah, keep keep listening to the podcast, but stop barking at people. We do have standards here at Next Gen. Um, but he's picking Georgia so that TCU can win. I'm picking TCU because TCU is going to win. We're going to like idiots if Georgia wins by a lot. So hopefully TCU at least show up and play well. This game is Monday night at 7.30. Just to remind you guys, it's on ESPN. They'll have a bunch of broadcasts. They'll do like a TCU broadcast and a Georgia broadcast. And they'll do like the Skycam broadcast. So... Uh, you know, check your TV guides, be on the lookout for that stuff, but that is Monday night. We're going to get into a little bit of admin work here to close out the podcast. Um, Next Gen Gamecocks, Next Gen Tigers, and an edition of a Virginia Tech podcast, I've said it on the before, I'm from Virginia, a big Virginia Tech fan, so Next Gen Gobblers as well is going to be launching in the next couple days. Um, Thomas, kind of speak to that. Yeah, you know, it's really exciting because we get to branch off and kind of cover our teams. It's really easy in this in this Next Gen Athletics podcast to focus on our teams because we have a little bit of bias towards them. And so I think now that we have our, our outlet to talk about our teams that we really love, we can talk about them more on that podcast and then really focus on this one being a, a nationally, uh, you know, covering everybody kind of podcast now. Yeah, I, I know Thomas and I are super, super excited to – to begin that, obviously, you guys will kind of tell, we've rebranded, we've gone with different logos that kind of match the overall theme uh, of all of the logos combined. So um, to anybody out there who is a fan of another college that we aren't covering, who is a fan or maybe goes to a college we aren't covering, feel free to, to DM us on, on Twitter, on Instagram, do anything we would like. We're, we're looking to expand at some point, maybe not right now, but at some point in the future, we are definitely looking to expand. So this is if this is something to where you feel like you're qualified, you feel like this is something that you want to do, don't hesitate to reach out. We are always looking for expansion. But be on the lookout. We're going to promote that plenty on Instagram and Twitter this upcoming week as those get launched and ready to go. But that is going to do it for us today. Thomas and I are headed back off to college, so bear with us in the next week. We're going to try and be... As consistent as humanly possible, obviously, we'll have our breakdown of the college football national championship game last week. We'll do our award show for the college football season now that it is finally done. We'll do best team, best player, whatnot, as you have it. And winter sports are going on. We haven't been able to talk about it a lot, but basketball wrestling is going on. So we will break down those more in depth as we get to go forward because finally we're kind of finishing fall sports. We're finally getting through crossover season. Yeah, and I'm really excited to cover these other sports. You know, college football is obviously the monster when it comes to college sports, but, you know, this podcast is, is really trying to show love to all of these college sports. It's, it'll be a lot of fun covering the winter sports and the spring sports coming up too. Yeah, I know I'm excited. I know Thomas is excited. I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend. Any college student, be safe getting back to campus. Don't forget Monday night at 7.30, the national championship game out in L.A. between number three TCU and number one Georgia is happening. We're going to break that down for you guys next week. But have a wonderful weekend. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at next underscore gen underscore A-T-H and on Instagram at next underscore 
Jen underscore athletics. Have a wonderful weekend. Be safe, and we will talk to you guys next week.